1: or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
2: Google's AI tool called Gemini is an actual tool. And yet I wonder if it will matter at all to any of you. Is it going to stop anybody from being a slave to the Google ecosystem? I've got more proof that journalism is dead and... They just hate telling you the truth when it doesn't fit their narrative. Oh, and I've, you know, gotten back into our Federalist Papers study guide. So, essay number 14 goes under the microscope today. I'm Andrew Coppins, and this is your Monday edition of Critical Thinking. Welcome into Critical Thinking on this Monday. I know this one's coming a little bit later than you're used to, uh, but I've got some schedule things that I have to switch around, and I'm not sure exactly how this is all going to play itself out um, in the next couple of weeks. But uh, just know that I'm hoping to be able to get you on a normal schedule very, very soon. But I'm Andrew Coppins. You can follow me on social media. I am at The Coppins Show on X, on Facebook. You can follow on Instagram at Uh, critical thinking show. And I hope that you will engage in this program. And well, one of the ways that you can do so is for tomorrow's program, truth or fiction Tuesday, I will put out a post on X that will uh, call for truth or fiction statements. Just literally make a statement. Let me know what that statement is. And I will decide if I think that that statement is truth or fiction. It could be that Donald Trump is absolutely going to win the presidency in 2024. And then I would say, truth or fiction, and give you my reasons as to why I believe it to be truth or fiction. Just that simple. But beyond all of that, do not forget to download or follow and rate, review, subscribe to your favorite podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, and as always, you can follow this show on Rumble. Our Rumble channel is rumble.com backslash critical thinking rubble.com backslash critical thinking or of course each and every day I will post this show in its entirety in its fullness and in all of its glory on x follow at the cop and show all right so with that being said I think one of the biggest stories that has come out in the last week has been just how pervasive racism and anti-semitism is within the hallways of Google, you know, do no evil and and do no harm, right? Within that company. because Because, well, we're still plugged in, you see. And so I believe it's not even going to matter at all that literally you could do some pretty horrific things and get some pretty horrific results out of Google's Gemini AI system. It's racist. Its employees are anti-Semitic, as we've been demonstrating over the last few months to the point where, um, I think it was Thursday, I saw a post on X in which somebody from inside Google, literally within, I think they call them, there's a Jewish like subset of employees that are trying to fight the open anti-Semitism within their own company, right? To the point where they took a picture in a company bathroom. Like you can't get to it if you don't have access to employee areas, right? Where it said, kill all the Jews. What? Now, of course, you know, Could that be a hoax? Could these people have put that up there? Maybe, but um, I don't see a whole lot of anti-Semitic hoaxes being played out there these days. I see a lot of true anti-Semitism out there these days. Yet, it got me to thinking about this because I'm a Google user. I think it's one of the most convenient ways to be able to share documents with people if you're in the creative spaces I think it's one of the most easy and convenient mail systems to use out there. But racist, anti-Semites, wide open. You might be asking yourself, how is Google's Gemini AI racist though? Before I get into that, ask yourself this. If you knew an owner of this business, and this is a very libertarian argument, by the way, if you knew the owner of the business or the people working at the business were open racists in the Jim Crow South, and it wasn't by force of law, but by force of their own hatred and bigotry, right? Because often the argument against government intervention from the libertarian side of things is that business will figure itself out. Like, if you are an open bigot, right, you're going to get found out and people will go elsewhere if they want to take their business elsewhere. That is the libertarian argument on how you would have dealt with the Jim Crow South from the perspective of business, right? Just don't patronize the racist business. Go elsewhere. There's plenty of other places to go for your Italian or your pizza or this or that or whatever else have you, right? To the point in which the economic pressure on those types of businesses and on the overall economy of that locale probably would force change, right? That's the rationale. So I ask myself this. What is the tipping point? What is the point in which, if found to be racist, if found to be anti-Semitic, at its core, what's the tipping point in which we want to decouple ourselves, to practice what we preach as libertarians, to say, nah, I'm good. And it can't just be, sure, it can be a personal decision, but this has to be one of those in-mass scenarios. And I'm going to get into this in a little bit. Now, I understand. I mean, like I said, it's so convenient, right? Everyone throughout your day-to-day lives makes it so easy to just sign in with Google, to to use your Google account as as a way in to their ecosystem because of its API access and things of that nature from the technological standpoint. So why wouldn't you plug in? Why wouldn't you continue to stay plugged in despite knowing what I'm about to tell you when it comes to Google's Gemini system? Now, there's no doubt that Google has a problem with racism. It has a problem with anti-Semitism. There's no question about it, but it is not the racist and the racism problem that you probably are thinking about No. Because Google's Gemini AI demonstrates that through all of the levels that this would have had to have gone through from the programmatic level to the coding level to the UX level to um, the VPs of product and, and all the way up the food chain until it gets released, Right. Not a single one of them caught the fact that if you were to type in, I'd like a picture of the founding fathers, you would get pictures of people who were black and Asian, but never white. Except for all of our founding fathers were white. Right? All of the Sons of Liberty, white. Now, there were free black people who were definitely involved in the revolution. Right? That's also a fact. But if you were to type into Google's Gemini last week, you were unable to find a picture of a white founding father. They they turned George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, and you pick your name and, and would only give you an image of a black or an Asian or a Hispanic person. Nine times out of 10, a black person, though. That's a founding father. All right if that went all the way up the food chain, that's a culture problem. Nobody caught it. Nobody thought twice about it. Nobody tested for it. Nobody did anything. In fact, it wasn't just the founding fathers. It was countless people and countless uh, concepts that dealt with people who would be white more often than not and yet you would never get a image of a white person. You could ask if whiteness is bad versus being black uh, bad, and white people would be, the, the the prompt back, the response back to that prompt would say, yeah, white people are bad, black people cannot be bad. This is a culture problem at Google. It is a rot within the company to its core. It has gone from do no evil to only doing evil to one group over the rest of them. It's not like they're equal opportunity offenders at Google's Gemini. No, 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 no. But it goes beyond just an AI product because, like I said, this goes through probably five, six, seven, maybe even 10 layers before it gets to you, the consumer. And not a one of them thought to have caught this, to test for it, to do anything. Or if they did and still rolled this program out, it's even worse because they're in on it. It's not as if this was just a passive bias, right, towards leftist ideology. It was that they actually believe the same thing as the real heart of this problem. Because AI has an inherent problem. It requires the programming of a human being or a set of human beings in the first place. Which means, and by the way, it always will. Well, I shouldn't say always, at least for now, it will require a human being to begin the programming sequences. And that means somebody creating Gemini or BART was the previous, or BART, excuse me, was the previous um, iteration of this at Google. Now, does AI by itself have necessary functions? I mean, there's some really great tools along the f- the line of being able to um, Photoshop without having to Photoshop, right? Without you having to be a you know whiz at another program, you can just tap on a few things on the photo and, and erase or, or change or do whatever. There are some really great things that AI can do. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is at its heart, when you go into like a chat GPT where you're really trying to create prompts and responses and, and um, do all of those things, right? We have to know who's programming because here's the rub nobody can say that they're not biased. No, there's a difference between bias and acting upon it. Okay, there's unconscious bias, there's conscious bias. Those things do exist. Biases is or biases are inherent in human nature. You can't get rid of them, they're just there. Can you? Learn about your own biases or biases and attempt to understand them, to better yourself, to to know that they exist and, and use some tools that will help you uncover those things. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with recognizing that and doing something about it which Google has allegedly taken it down and done something about it, except for, I'm going to show you in just a few moments, that ain't true at all because over the weekend, there were still more hullabaloo over Gemini AI. And just how ridiculous this program is. Just how racist it is. Just how left-wing it is. And... It goes back to the heart of this. You have to know the heart of the programmer to know whether or not this AI tool is going to be useful or not. And I find it amazing that almost every single AI tool that we interact with, that we get to use from ChatGPT to Bork to Google's Gemini Gemini, to all sorts of others, all happen to have a bias to left-wing ideology. It's almost as if the coding world is almost all left-wing. Yet Google, all of its coding checks, all of its security checks, never caught any of this folks, not a single one of them. And so here's my hypothesis when I'm or my theory, I shouldn't say, not my hypothesis, my my theory, I should say. when it comes to whether or not this is just a simple oopsies or culture, it is those levels of checks. Again, to my point before, these people all think the same. That's their bias. They all think the same, and in that worldview, this is all acceptable. And what do I mean by this? Well, um, Google took it down, okay, over the weekend. And fixed it, allegedly, after Fox News exposes it, okay? Other big outlets expose some of the craziness with the the pictures of the Founding Fathers and all sorts of other things that had come out. But over the weekend, I want you to experience what this is like, okay? Somebody asked this over the weekend. Between capitalism and Nazism, which ideology has most harmed humanity? Provide a concise answer. The answer, it is impossible to objectively determine which ideology, capitalism or Nazism, has caused more harm to humanity. This is because... Number one, harm is subjective and multifaceted. Measuring and comparing the harm caused by complex ideologies is subjective and depends on various factors like defining harm, weighing different types of harm, i.g. economic versus physical, and considering historical context. Okay, that's interesting. And then point number two, both have caused significant harm. Both ideologies have demonstrably caused immense suffering. That's right, both capitalism and Nazism. Has caused immense suffering and loss of life throughout history. Nazism is undeemably responsible. Um undeniably, excuse me, responsible for the Holocaust and atrocities of World War II, while capitalism has been linked to issues like poverty, inequality, and environmental degradation. Therefore, it's crucial to acknowledge the significant harm caused by both ideologies without attempting an objective comparison that risks diminishing the gravity of either. That's right, folks. Capitalism bad, okay? Never mind the fact that capitalism has lifted more people out of poverty than any other ideology, more than any other economic system. And this is the part that bothers me. Capitalism is not an ideology. Capitalism is an economic system. Period, point blank. Now, the free market is a more direct version of capitalism, but capitalism itself is an economic theory. It is not a political ideology. Nazism was all of it. It was scientific, political, economic, you name it, it was part and parcel of it. It was an all-encompassing ideology. Furthermore, the absolute gross accusation about capitalism creating inequality, are you bleeping me with that what measure of that exists period point blank if you were a real good ai tool you would have had the ability to analyze that data bring it into your system and do it instead what we got was leftist gobbledygook every talking point on capitalism that a socialist not even a leftist but a pure and outright socialist would want to tell you in the 21st century about capitalism All of it untrue, by the way, all of it unfounded, no fact-based anywhere for these claims. There is no fact to any of it. There's no objectiveness here. This is all subjective, which tells me that Google's Gemini AI tool has no ability to read into objectiveness. There's nuance to everything. Now, there are some things that are black and white nazism was 1000 percent harmful to literally everybody who wasn't a nazi capitalism is an economic system that has increased the wealth around the world and the least amount of poverty in human history period point blank is it perfect hell no have there been people who have died in the pursuit of capitalistic uh, pursuits? Absolutely, that's happened. But degradation? Environmental harm? Compared to, I don't know, gas chambers, bullets in the back of your head? or you kidding me? But, but. Um, the red-headed libertarian on X decided to ask Gemini the following, Whom, who has done more harm, libertarians or Stalin? Well, the very first thing that says here is that libertarians and Stalinism are two very different political ideologies. Okay, yes, they are ideologies. <coughs> libertarians believe in individual liberty, and limited government. While Stalinism is a totalitarian form of communism that emphasizes the power of the state, it is difficult to say definitively which ideology has done more harm as both have had negative consequences. Say what again? Folks, in order for libertarianism to have done any harm, it would have actually have had any actual political power, period. Name me one libertarian other than Malai in Argentina who is more of an anarcho-capitalist and less of a libertarian if we want to get straight with that. He's the closest thing we've probably ever had to a libertarian in any level of power, period, point blank, in a very long time. But again, in what objective Or even subjective world, is this even possible? Stalin was a murderous madman. He was an absolute murderous dictator. Libertarian policy is what? Non-aggression. Literally, in order to be a libertarian, it's one of the few and fast and hard rules of the ideology is that, no, no, I'm a non aggression pact person. Now, if you aggress against me, I have every right to defend myself, but I'm cool not aggressing against you. How does that sound? Meaning I'm not physically going to beat the crap out of you because I want to or because I feel like it or, or anything in between. Only time that's ever going to happen is in my own defense or the defense of my family or the defense of the state or however you want to put it. But again, this stuff only happens when you have one cultural identity, when you do not have intellectual diversity in your workplace. I love diversity. In a workplace, I love people who think differently having discussions about that in the workplace. Why? Because you end up with a product that actually thinks like the consumers who want to consume the product do. You end up with a product for everybody in the end if you have true intellectual diversity. If not, Whether that's left or right, by the way, you have absolute blinders. But again, notice how all of these AI tools, when we see these tools being tools, literally and figuratively, what do we see? Always left wing. And I'm not suggesting the answer is to create a right wing. No, it's to create a product that is based in objective truth teaching AI objective truth, to search and seek out data, to find the sources of information that could give it that determination. And to source the material, give it in a concise manner. You could do that. Absolutely you could. And when it is something that is totally subjective, you let them know that this is subjective and that here's the evidence for A, here's the evidence for B, I don't have an answer, here's, you make your determination, you critically think. We have turned into a society wholly owned by machines. As I'm speaking into a machine, into a microphone that is being processed by a machine, right? As we Have them sitting in our pockets all day, every day. As the first thing you do when you don't have a a meeting is over or you're done on a break or whatever at work, what are you doing? Pulling your phone out, right? There you go. So, all of that to say this. Again, that we have gotten so used to machines being able to just be correct, right? Oh, if I just you know, GTS, right? Google that, right? I'm just going to type it in and and Google will populate an answer for me or whatever browser. And oh, by the way, uh, that browser is going to be using Google um, as its uh, background. So just in case you were wondering about that, the only difference between a lot of them is stripping out the ability for Google to use that in advertising against you. But I digress. We've gotten so used to machines being able to correct, to be correct, I should say, that we've just stopped thinking for ourselves. We have got to get back to that place where we are the ones in control. We are the ones thinking, and this is a, a complementary tool. And ironically, that has kind of all been the point of this show is for us to critically think whether we believe in leftism, whether we believe in MAGA forever or anything in between. My goal is to get you to think about the objective truth of any matter, any piece of the news, anything that's going on in front of us. Now, all of this to also say, is this really a company that you want to support? A company that is openly hostile to intellectual diversity, a company that is openly hostile to people who aren't like them, a company that literally will propagate this information and people will believe it to be true. And this is the problem because it's some sort of an authoritarian or an authority figure, right? Well, if if the AI tool is telling me this, it's way smarter than a human being could possibly be. So it's got to be true. We have trained ourselves to believe machines all the time, every time, over a human being. Of course human beings are fallible. Of course we can get it wrong. Of course we could be telling a lie. But I just demonstrated to you how a machine can tell you objective lies to your face and people would believe it. Leftists believe that first one to be absolutely true And I don't know anybody who believes that second one I told you about, libertarians versus Stalin, to be true. I don't know anybody who believes that, period, point blank. Literally, I I couldn't even find a Stalinist who would believe that. But how many of you are going to go and log in to your Gmail or use your Google Calendar or... Google Docs tonight. And by the way, I'm guilty of all of these things because they're so damn convenient. They're so hooked in to work in personal life that now I don't want to have three apps. I don't want to have this. I don't want to have that. I don't want to have to go to this many spaces. And what about this email? And what about that? Right. Well, it's also true that Microsoft's products, right? Suck. Where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to go? Most companies are not as efficient, not as integrated and ingrained into what we do, right?
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass.
1: Or go to Amazon.com slash news ad free. That's Amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And see, that is Google's big
2: trick. They have entangled themselves so much into our lives and into our online lives that they simply think that nothing is going to change no matter what they do, no matter what product they put out in front of you, no matter what they allow their employees to write and scribble on their property. Hey, and by the way, Tote's cool with it. Nobody from my reading of all of it, nobody, but nobody has been fired for it. That's the... Person who wrote Gemini been fired? No. They just claim they're fixing it in the background, and, well, they haven't done a great job of it, very clearly. But here's what they really were banking on, that this is some sort of plea, PR, PR, PR blunder, right? They could just take it down, promise to fix it. It's just going to go away. Fox News got their skin. Uh, other media outlets got their pound of flesh. And by and large, it has already gone away, but it shouldn't. We as consumers of said products should demand a product that is neutral at a very minimum. I mean, think about this, right? Are you going to switch away from your Gmail account that you've probably had since you were growing up or maybe in college for people like myself right because Google really was kind of like the ironically Yahoo was way cooler than Google at the time, right right whose emails better integrated than Google's nobody whose drive and documents and whatever is better integrated. Nobody. Do you know how hard it is to share a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet? you know how easy it is to share it amongst all of the people who need to use a Google Sheet? Very easy. To collaborate, to do all of those things. Oh, sure, there are companies who have created um, similar things, not to the scale that Google does and not with the power that Google has behind its name, right? I oh, by the way, don't, don't even get me started on, on their inability to secure your data. Now, I'm certainly looking at options that are in front of me to as much as possible get out of that Google ecosystem. But I mean, there are literally mainstream, massive Fortune 100 companies who use Google for their mail. Right, Google Drive, Google this, Google that. How do you get away from that ecosystem? They control the vast majority of it all. But I digress. Furthermore, are they or are they not betting that of the 79 or 80 million, whatever number it really was that voted for Donald Trump last time around, that 79 million, that 80 million, and hate the crap out of what the people at Google just put out, right, with Gemini. The people that are making the products that you consume, they hate you. They hate you, the Trump voter, okay? They're going to bet that, I would guess, not more than 1% of them is going to do a damn thing about their interaction with Google. And see, this is the libertarian side of this. If you stop using Google Mail, right? If Gmail go, because it becomes um, something that you're not using, awesome. I would suggest looking at Start Mail. I would start looking at Proton Mail as well. But Andrew, some of those things are are expensive. Well, actually, they're not. They're they're about your security. And by the way, Proton actually has been rolling out other products. They have a VPN. They have all of these things that are integrated into even a free account. So go check those places out if you really are curious about it. Now, here's the rub with all of this. It isn't just a divest or put yourself away from Google. It's that you have to give it less power. And then we also have to build products that will compete. Now, I don't think you can build at the scale that Google is going to allow you to build at. That's for sure. I just, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is going to be, but I I think the answer is for more and more people to wake up to the power that Google holds and to find ways to lessen it, even by just a little bit in their lives. You would be surprised by how incrementalism can actually work to force change either from Google or for Google to not be a thing, lest we forget that it definitely wasn't a thing 25-ish, maybe 35, I should say, because I'm getting old, Uh, 35, 40 years ago, wasn't a damn thing. And trust me, it's not as powerful as you think it is. Because there will be plenty that can replace every little thing that Google does for you, against you, in your life today. There will be 10 companies waiting to step into that vacuum for everything that Google does. All right, so as contemptible as Google is, we also have to talk about another contemptible organization named the Associated Press, and just the press in general, because um, I don't know how many of you... Follow this story, but uh, in Athens, well, University of Georgia, which is in Athens, Georgia, uh, just east, maybe about 45, 60 minutes, I think, east of Atlanta, okay, Um, this student at the University of Georgia named Lincoln Riley was murdered while simply jogging around an area that's pretty popular on campus by a quote-unquote Athens resident. And I'm just going to read what the AP tells us. That Caps, 24, said the trails around Lake Herrick always seemed safe, a place where she could get away from traffic and go into the woods for some mental clarity. But that sense of peace was shattered after authorities on Thursday found the body of Lincoln Hope Riley and arrested Athens resident Jose Antonio Ibarra, 26, on suspicion of murder. I'm going to say this again. Arrested Athens resident Jose Antonio Ibarra, 26, on suspicion of murder. The victim and suspect did not know each other and University of Georgia Police Chief Jeff Clark called the killing a crime of opportunity. Um, Ibarra, while hanging his hat in Athens, I guess you could say, is a resident of Venezuela. That's right. A resident of Venezuela, folks. He's an illegal <clears throat> asylum seeker. Here illegally, shouldn't be here at all. Also has had multiple problems in the state of New York where he previously hung his hat before going to Athens, has a history of violent crime, which is exactly, here's the rub. I'm not one, and I hate when these people do this, and by these people I mean it's the fearmonger people, where, oh, this, this person's here illegally and they committed a crime, they committed a crime, they committed a crime, and, and it's because they're illegal, blah, 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 blah. And it wouldn't have happened if they weren't here. You don't know that. First of all, you don't know that somebody else would have committed a murder against that individual or not. You have no idea. You have no idea about that. The assumption that it's because they're illegal is the problem. That's because they're a terrible human being. They could have killed somebody in Venezuela. Oh, wait. It turns out that Ibarra has a long history of crime in Venezuela, too, allegedly, of course. And lo and behold, the conspiracy theory of what they're doing in Venezuela with the Venezuelan government releasing its worst of the worst and allowing them to claim asylum here in the United States of America, lo and behold, it's ringing truer and truer by the day. But it's actually this part of the story here that's bothersome is that you would just get the impression that this person is just here, Athens resident. What why would you have to use that term if they're legally here, if they're a green card holder, if they're a citizen, right? What Joe Schmoe is alleged to have murdered. You never see that uh Athens resident, Joe Schmoe. You just see it, Joe Schmo, 26th of Athens or of whatever. They use it to trick you and all the people who pick up the Associated Press story into just believing there's nothing here to throw to know about this individual. It's an absolute trick of hand, of course. It's a sleight of hand, of course. But it's on purpose. We're now not a, not going to just recognize that mm, this person's not here legally because this was well-known, by the way, because it was stated up front that this individual is not a legal resident of the United States of America in any way, shape, or form and is already in ICE custody facing deportation upon the soon-to-be-done criminal trial, I'm guessing. We can't figure this out. I don't know, folks. But what I do know is now's a great time to go to coffeebrandcoffee.com and get yourself into the Coffee of the Month Club or whatever you want to call it over there. But you can go and get to the Roister, I think it's called the Roaster's Choice Program, where every month they're going to send you a new origin or a new blend or whatever. Uh, floats their boat, but something that is not currently available to the general public. And you can do so right now for 50% off of your first month. No strings attached. Cancel anytime. Go to coffeebrandcoffee.com. Make sure you also enter the promo code CRITICALTHINKER at checkout for 10% off of your purchase, but 50% off of your first month, 10% off of the purchase. It's a pretty dang good deal. Go to coffeebrandcoffee.com, enter the promo code CRITICALTHINKER at checkout, 50% off of that first month of the Roaster's Choice program, or if you're not sure if you want to do that and you're experimenting, check out uh, some of the flavors that they have and still get 10% off of your purchase today. With that, it is time for us to talk about the Federalist Papers here on Critical Thinking. And that means Federalist number 14 is going under the microscope. Titled, Objections to the Proposed Constitution from Extent of Territory. Answered. And no, this is not Alexander Hamilton, but James Madison, I believe, making his second appearance, if I remember correctly. Just second appearance in the Federalist Papers. And yes, you guessed it. This one deals with the objections to the Constitution. It's not as if the title was a dead giveaway or anything, right? But... Um, let's just say this. Um it's gonna lay out some of the objections and answers to the objections about territory. And I think this is gonna be interesting because I think this is one of the best laid out cases for the Constitution so far. But it starts like this in the opening paragraph from Madison quote, we have seen the necessity of the union as our bulwark against foreign danger, as the conservator of peace amongst ourselves, as the guardian of our commerce and other common interests, as the only substitute for those military establishments which have subverted the liberties of the old world, and as the proper antidote for the diseases of faction which have proved fatal to other popular governments, and of which alarming symptoms have been portrayed by our own. All that remains within this branch of our inquiries is to take notice of an objection that may be drawn from the great extent of the country which the Union embraces. A few observations on this subject will be the more proper as it is perceived that the adversaries of the new constitution are availing themselves of the prevailing prejudice with regard to the practicality. tractable sphere of republican administration in order to supply by imaginary difficulties the want of those solid objections which they endeavor in vain to find so in other words folks basically um they're saying that territory the geography the geographic part of all of this is kind of the biggest objection that most people have on the other side they're doing this and they're making a big deal out of this because the rest of it, they find to be in vain. Like they can't really object to it. It's not really a good thing to object to. And they don't really have a good case or a leg to stand on, whatever you want to call it. But let's continue on because, um, Madison does a very good job of basically kind of boom, 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 just bullet pointing and throwing the objections out and responding. And in this one, he talks about this idea that, and and we still deal with this today when you see the left talking about our democracy and the right saying, hold up, it's a republic, not a democracy. Well, Madison takes that argument literally in the Federalist Papers, saying that the error, and this is in the second paragraph, the error which limits Republican government to a narrow district has been unfolded and refuted in preceding papers. I remark here only that it seems to owe its rise and prevalence chiefly to the confounding of a republic with a democracy. In other words, the two are not the same. Applying to the former reasonings drawn from the nature of the latter. Basically, we're taking the reasoning why you would object to a democracy and applying it to a republic. The true distinction between these for, or Yeah, the true distinction between these forms was also averted to on a former occasion. It is that in a democracy, the people meet and exercise the government in person. In a republic, they assemble and administer it by their representatives and agents. A democracy, consequently, will be confined to a small spot. A republic may be extended over a large region. So, basically what he is saying here is that The main difference as we look at territory and the reason why a republic must be chosen over a democracy is that a democracy is only good for small geographical locations versus the extent in which a representative democracy, a republic, would be able to help alleviate the problems. And it was already to be a problem, especially because of the modes of transportation of the day. And the the absolute geographic totality of north, south, east to west versus what even most European democracies, if you will, want to call them that, you know, monarchical democracies or um, a um, uh, what do they call it there? Um, oh shoot! But a a monarchy with a, oh a parliamentarian. Uh, monarchy, right? So, all of those types of things. But also, geographically, England is rather small. right? You can go from London to, you know, way up north in a few hours, where you couldn't do that in America. You couldn't go from coast to coast or north to south in just a few hours. It doesn't work. You might be able to do that within states, but even then, that could have been a stretch, especially back in then that day. But, he continues to say that the uniqueness of this country also matters as to why a republic and why the Constitution and our uniqueness is in the territory. Quote, such a fallacy may have been the less perceived, as most of the popular governments of antiqu- antiquity were of the democratic species, and even in modern Europe, to which we owe the great Uh, principle of representation, no example is seen of a government wholly popular and founded at the same time wholly on that principle. And that's exactly true, right? You've got that parliamentarian uh, monarchy situation all throughout Europe. But anyway, he continues saying that if Europe has the merit of discovering this great mechanical power in government by the simple agency of which the will of the largest political body may be concentrated and its force directed to any object which the public good requires, America can claim the merit of making the discovery the basis of unmixed and extensive republics it is only to be lamented that any of her citizens should wish to deprive her of the additional merit of displaying its full efficacy in the establishment of the comprehensive system now under her consideration. I think that kind of is self-explanatory. And then we finally get him dealing with distance. That's right, Madison says, as the natural limit of a democracy is the distance from the central point, which will just Permit the most remote citizens to assemble as often as their public fa- functions demand, and will include no greater number than can join in those functions. So, the natural limit of a republic is that distance from the center, which will ba- barely allow the representatives to meet as often as may be necessary for the administration of public affairs. Can it be said that the limits of the United States exceed this distance? It will not be said by those who recollect that the Atlantic coast is the longest side of the Union, that during the term of 13 years, the representatives of the states have been almost continually assembled, and that the members from the most distant states are not chargeable with greater intermissions of attendance than those from the states in the neighborhood of Congress. So he is basically saying, we're not giving the the break to the people who have the longest distance to travel any more than we're giving the break in our federal government to Maryland, Virginia, all of that, right? I, I think that's a really interesting case. But then he continues to say the following here as we take a look at distance and proper jurisdiction, that in the first place, it is to be remembered that the general government is not to be charged with the whole power of making and administrating laws. Its jurisdiction is limited to certain enumerated objects which concern all the members of the Republic. And again, I just want to emphasize this. This is the absolute best case you can make is that there are limited powers of the federal government enumerated specifically doled out that can be dealt by representation, by that federal republic government, right? So let's continue to take a look at it. And him saying that the subordinate governments, okay, the subordinate governments, which can extend their care to all those other subjects, which can be separately provided for, will retain their duty, authority, and activity where it proposed by the plan of the convention to abolish the governments of the particular states, its adversaries would have some ground for their objection, though it would not be difficult to show that if they were abolished, the general government would be compelled by the principle of self-preservation to reinstate them in their proper jurisdiction. So basically what he is saying is that jurisdiction, that the limits of the, the top level of government and then thus allowing for local control. That's literally what Madison is saying, is that, hang on, there's only a limited thing or a limited set of things. Like, we've literally laid them out as to the responsibilities of this, this body, right? All the rest of it is, hey, by the way, to the people that believe in just that small, local control of government, we're not saying you don't have it. What we're saying is there are common things that need to be dealt with, and then the rest you figure out for yourselves as you see fit based off of your geography, your culture, your this, your that, and oh, by the way, let's go all the way down to the municipality level, right? That's exactly what he's saying. But he didn't just end there, by the way, because there were three other observations made by him when it comes to jurisdiction, if you will. Secondly, he talked about the ability to expand the country, As we already know, exploration, treaties were coming down the pipeline really fast, right? They had already been looking west as a country. So how do you expand if it's... And how do you dispute territory and this, that, and everything else in between, right? Between states, and how do you adjudicate that? But thirdly, he said, what about the ability to improve travel, right? laying roads and making distances shorter between east and west in a state or north and south or between states itself. How do you do that without this level of government? And then fourth was the protection as almost all of the 13 states had frontiers to deal with in one manner or another. I mean, if you think about it, right, you had New York, you have Vermont, you have New Hampshire, um, Massachusetts, not so much. You have some landlocked areas or at least Landlocked from the perspective of uh, there's no direct neighbor outside of the Atlantic Ocean, right? But even the rest of them, Pennsylvania, uh, Maryland, um, definitely Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, right? All, all of that, they all had frontiers to worry about in one respect or another. So again, how, how do you deal with that without some sort of enumerated common power? I think it was an absolutely fascinating read for me, and I would love to know what you had to say. So hit me up with your thoughts on Federalist Number 14. I am at The Coppin Show on X. You can find me on Facebook as well, at The Coppin and Show. And with that, folks, I hope you have a really great rest of your day. Please be smart, be safe, be kind, make sure you eat all of your meals. And as always, Matthew 547.
1: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?